You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. How do you best support your leader whenever you're in a position of leadership as well, but your first responsibility is to him or her? This is the phenomenon of second chair leadership. It's growing in interest. It's growing in study. The concept of followership you might have heard of as well. Well, in today's episode, we're talking explicitly about second chair leadership and second chair leadership in the church. It's a phenomenon that doesn't just apply to big churches or small churches. It's in every church where somebody has the influence of the leader through relationship or experience or insight, knowledge, whatever it is, there's a second chair leader who's leading from that vantage point. Today's guest is one who's been doing second chair leadership in her church for a long time, and she's learned a lot and she's sharing it with us today. Joining us today is Reverend Catherine Howie. Pastor Kathy has a variety of ministries in her background from leading worship and worship arts, teaching. She's been involved in crew and church ministry. She's been involved in leadership development. She currently serves as campus pastor at Garfield Park, which is part of Trinity Church in Indianapolis. She's been involved in ministry for over 25 years, and I've gotten to know her as a doctor of ministry student here at Wesley Seminary. But I've gotten to know her not just on her own, but alongside her first chair leader. We're going to talk a little bit about that experience today and what that dynamic is like, what she has learned, and what insights she's got for people who are in those positions. If you are a first chair leader, a second chair leader, if you are on a staff, I think this conversation is for you. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor, and then enjoy the episode. Wesley Seminary prepares Christian leaders to engage in missional ministry locally and globally through fully online Masters of Ministry, Masters of Divinity, and Doctor of Ministry programs. Learn from professors who will help you grow in your knowledge of scripture, theology, and church history with the goal of applying what you learn from the local ministry. Journey with a spiritual formation cohort made up of students from around the world that take their own ministry experience and challenge you to sharpen your ministry skills and deepen your spiritual formation. Wherever you are, in whatever way you serve in ministry, we want to serve you. We are Wesley, and you belong here. Welcome to the Wesley Seminary Podcast, future Dr. Catherine Howie. (laughs) Thank you. Hopefully in the not-too-distant future. The not-too-distant future, that's right. Listeners, Kathy is a doctor of ministry student here at Wesley Seminary, and we've been together for three classes? I think so, yeah. Kathy has a wonderful way of synthesizing thoughts, of making thoughts practical, and also challenging assumptions. And that's exactly why I've invited her on the podcast today. So Kathy, I am glad you're here. I would love for you to share a little bit about your role, maybe a little bit about your story, and then how the Lord brought you into the role that you're currently in. The really short story is I never felt like I was called to ministry at a young age. I know a lot of people feel that. I just felt like God opened doors little by little and asked me to be faithful to walk through them. Most of the time, that was the case. And so we started in ministry with crew and then um, ended up here in Indianapolis at a church, Trinity Wesleyan Church, and doors just kept opening for ministry for me there. We left crew staff in 2010 on good terms and everything just felt like God was moving us on. 
And it's just been, like I said, one phase after another. So I started coordinating worship as our worship pastor left. And then we had a pastoral change. And I asked the new pastor, who is our lead pastor currently, do you want me to stay? Because usually a pastor brings in their own people. And he said, oh, please do. And then I found myself doing more and more pastoral ministry as we figured out where God was leading Trinity. So then I pursued ordination through flame, which was a joy. I loved my flame classes and decided to do a master's, not knowing why, but it has opened up opportunities that I don't think I would have had without that degree. And so now I'm doing this doctorate. I'm the campus pastor of our downtown location in Indianapolis in the Garfield Park neighborhood. And I just get to hug people and look in their eyes and listen to their stories. And usually every night that I go home from that type of ministry, I have two thoughts. One is, wow, the material blessings that God has given me and the opportunities that I've had are not to be taken for granted. They're definite works of his grace. And the other one is just so sad that other people are struggling. But it's very dynamic, and I love pastoral ministry. One of the dynamics that I observed, which is actually what generated my invitation to you to come on the podcast, was the way that you were able to interact with your senior pastor, who's also a doctor of ministry student at the seminary, Pastor Mike Kola. I watched you both interact. I watched you interact in ways that would challenge one another, would support one another, would disagree with one another, that would illustrate what the other was thinking. There's a really great dynamic. And I, and I watched the kind of lead and second chair leadership relationship go in a number of classes. So that's what I want to talk about. So let me just give you the, the phrase, second chair leadership. What does this mean to you? It means that I don't have to carry the weight of the buck stops here, which is my personality. I like to be a support person, but second chair leadership is also not a lackey in a sense where Pastor Mike will tell me to do something and I jump and do it. Although I do, you know, if he asks me to do something, I do it. But our leadership styles complement each other. And he's the only really person I think I've served under where this relationship works so well. His leadership style is, here's the vision. How do you think we should get there? And then go ahead and do it. And so I have a lot of freedom with accountability, of course. But I'm a self-starter, and I just love that that balance of I don't carry the full weight of the ministry. I do carry the full weight of a lot of ministry, but not the overarching church. And I feel free in that spot because of those two things. I don't carry the full weight, and yet I have so much freedom as long as we are on mission And I can even propose things. What if we did this? I've done that. What if we had a gallery in our church? And we do have a gallery in our church now. We we haven't used it lately, but we're going to, we're ramping up again now that we're past COVID to have some gallery exhibitions coming up. The give and take is, is amazing. And there's, I think, probably the most important quality in second chair leadership is trust and trust going in both directions. So I trust that when Mike sets direction, that we're headed in the right direction following Christ. I know that he loves Jesus with his whole being. And then he extends that trust back to me. And when I have something to speak into, he listens. I like you that you use the language of there's a a dynamic, there's trust. And I have observed that in class. 
sometimes people hear academic setting and they tune out. Sometimes people hear academic setting. And in this case, you kind of have to imagine like it's energized, it's energetic, right? There's passionate sharing. There's there's ideas that have been shared from experience and that have been built upon our experience that have been in a sense tested and tried. And yet somebody else disagrees with the idea because of what their experience has been. So that's kind of the dynamic in which I've observed some of the give and take and the conversation. But I want to broaden the question out a little bit. Frankly, it can be hard to disagree with a point leader without it appearing as groupthink, right? Well, of course, that's what you had to say because they're the boss. It can also be difficult to disagree without it coming across as being obstinate, right? Like you're the boss. I think I should be. That's why I disagree. You know, like I can kind of put both those scenarios in my head when I'm, whenever I'm thinking about this kind of leader and second chair leader kind of dynamic. How do you maintain an authentic and an influential voice? So whenever you agree, it's authentic. And whenever you disagree, it's influential. It's not just being obstinate. It's not just being difficult. How do you, how do you maintain both aspects to that role of the second chair leader? With what I said before, the level of trust that's there makes it easy to do either. We've been working together now for 11 years, so time builds trust and time builds relationships. So there's that as well. When we first began, we didn't know what we were doing. We were kind of doing almost like a relaunch of the church that had been through a really hard season. We were, in a sense, making the culture as we went along. Actually, I should say Pastor Mike was making the culture as we went along. And I would notice what was important. I think this goes back to the second chair leadership idea. I was noticing what was really important to him. And so when we bring on a new staff member, I would give them the lowdown. Like, this is how it works here at Trinity. And some of the phrases that he was using or some of the habits that he had became our staff culture. One of the ones that he never said it out loud, but it was this idea that if you don't speak up, then you agree with me. So we call it silence is agreement. To not speak up is something that is not good at Trinity. We want people's ideas. And there is that ebb and flow, the back and forth. And sometimes it gets a little heated, but I don't think I've ever seen it spill over into disrespect. And so respect and trust, again, I sound like a broken record, but (laughs) those things are very important. And there have been times where I have seen something and brought it to Mike's attention and he didn't see it the same way. And so I, I did push. I can think of three instances right now where one time I just knew that we needed to go in this direction. And yet you have to say it respectfully, of course, but I said my piece and then kind of left it there. And then I got a I don't know if it was an email or a phone message a couple of weeks later where he said, you're right, we do need to go down this path. I know that I have Mike's ear and I don't abuse that. And so I'm not going to point out little picky things and I'm going to save that for when there's something that's really important to the ministry, important to the church ministry as a whole. And so he does listen. And he also is very, very good about knowing what his limitations are. And so like I go into a room and I can pretty much tell you where everybody is at in their, not of course, their spiritual life, but that day, how they're feeling, what's going on in their head, why they're holding back. I don't always know why they're holding back. I shouldn't say that, but I do know that they are holding back. Mike comes into a room and he's just on task and here we go. Some of that is just due to our gifts. I think some of it is due to the fact that I was a mom and I had to figure that out with our kids. 
And so he does defer to me. If I say, did you understand when you came into the room that so-and-so had been crying and you just came in like a buffalo? And he'll say, no, didn't even notice that. He'll just ask questions. Did that come across well? Am I being too much? And of course, his wife is way better at that. But as far as a staff team goes, there's just a lot of back and forth and lots of respect and lots of trust because in the end, we're on mission. And I don't want to mess that up. There's too much at stake. People's souls are at stake. The reputation of the church in culture is at stake. So I don't know what you would call that. There's a hesitancy in my heart to do anything that would wreck that. In a really interesting dynamic, this the second chair leader is, in a profound sense, responsible for the leadership development of their leader. They are responsible for that leader to be growing unless they devolve into a relationship where they just carry out the wishes of the person. And like you said, there is a place for taking the vision and translating it and implementing it down into, into other teams or staff members or volunteers. But if that's all that's happening, then you don't have a second chair leader. You just have perhaps a really good assistant. But the second chair leader role is one that has to be leading up. There really is a dynamic of, okay, the leadership development of my leader is part of my responsibility. That takes deep understanding of who they are, deep understanding of what his or her pinch points are, right? What will what will fire them up and leave them motivated or what will fire them up and leave them distracted and maybe even discouraged? You really do have to account for several factors about what's going on in the moment for you to hold that as we, we describe the, the authentic and influential voice, right? Is this the right time to say something? Is this the wrong time to say something? Is this the time to disagree internally, but commit publicly and then have the disagreement in private? Or is this a time to give permission for other people to speak up so that the overall mission is is advanced or the complexity of the idea is put on the table? There's so many factors going on. So the fact that you're looking for words does reveal to us the complexity of what it is. And in a sense, it's like, it took me 10 years to get here, right? And if somebody else is listening in as a second share leader, and they're frustrated, or a little confused, or there's some mystery to it that they haven't quite figured out, and they're six months, 18 months, two years, three years into it, well, that might be exactly what they should expect, right? There is a complexity to it that can't get sorted out just with aphorisms and just with some abstractions. It really has to be sorted out in the field, right? In the ongoing relationship and, and leadership dynamic between the first and second chair leaders. Yeah, very true. And I think one of the words, it's again, it's a, an abstraction, but just good communication. It's also very practical. There are times when I don't understand and I know that I can ask, I don't understand. And then we have a conversation. I think too, there's there's this huge level, and I'm not trying to say that I'm a super humble person, but there's a huge level of humility that's required. It doesn't work if that's not the case. I don't have an agenda except for the church to grow for the kingdom, for the glory of God. And Mike doesn't either. We're not trying to outdo one another. And there there have been other staff members who feel like they need to be Mike, I guess because he's the leader of the church, that they feel they would be most valuable if they preach the way he does and lead the way he does. But that doesn't work. It's just better for each one of us to live into the gifts and abilities that God has given to us. One of the ones that he's given to me, I have the gift of discernment, and it's easy to see into people what's actually going on. And so I spend a lot of my time in the position I'm in as a translator, 
even though we're speaking the same language, somebody will say something and somebody else will say something and they're actually saying the same thing, but they're disagreeing. And so I have to push pause and say, do you understand what Mike is saying? He's saying what you're saying and it's hysterical. So I kind of call myself a translator as well. I think that's important. But I also want to say that we have a second chair that's not me. We just hired an executive pastor. And so in some ways, I've functioned a little bit in that role. And I still have a lot of relational capital that goes between people at church. But I don't know where where I am exactly right now. We're kind of doing a little bit of a restructuring. So I think that our executive pastor is actually my boss. Well, that might be an interesting dynamic to lift up for, let's call them informal or unofficial second chair leaders to keep in mind whenever there is rearrangement or restructuring that's happening is just to to be mindful, right? That there might be some official second chair leaders who are going to want you to go through them, right? Or there might be some that are okay with that kind of informality still existing as the, the informal second chair leader acts as a sage, as an advisor, and they just recognize like, that's just the way it is. And we're if we're all on mission together and this isn't creating dysfunctions or systemic breakdowns, and then I'm okay with it. But that does lift up maybe some of the dynamics that do exist. This isn't a big church, small church dynamic. There are second chair leaders, informal, unofficial second chair leaders in churches of all size. They might not have a specific title. Like Titles can be really helpful to signal who the second leader is. That can be really helpful. But there still are second chair leaders in churches of all sizes who act as that insight, act as that advisor, act as that sage. And you hope in ways that are are healthy and productive and meaningful and that kind of lift everybody's everybody's influence for the common good. But you do have to pay attention to some of those unique dynamics. Maybe you'd even say the unique dynamic that exists between the first and second chair leader in that kind of unique team dynamic also exists to every context, right? Every context has a way of showing how leadership interactions work or are expected to work. And so there's just some paying attention to reality or discernment that has to take place. If you're if you're in that role and it's part of how God has gifted you, whether or not you have the title, you've got to be paying attention to reality and factoring in multiple dynamics of interpersonal relationships, job titles, job descriptions, expectations. All those things are on the table, but that's what a second chair leader is supposed to do is to be paying attention to all those dynamics so that the the decisions and the perspectives of their leader are accounting for a complexity, are more fully absorbed in reality, are more informed. Yeah, I think paying attention is probably, I don't know if it's a spiritual gift. I don't know if that's discernment, but it is really, really, really important. And I wouldn't say I'm a detail person in that I don't want to do finances. But when I notice things, I am a detail person. I notice the little things. And that's really important in any kind of second chair situation. Because often the the first chair, the leader that's out in front, doesn't have the bandwidth to think through how this is going to affect the rest of the staff team in a way that I do. He does, but it's a little bit different. And so... I don't know. I think what we're talking about too is another another esoteric quality, but it's just balance that everyone on a staff team works to balance others out rather than all of us being little Mike Colas running around. That would be really funny. It would be counterproductive because then we'd have all of his strengths in craziness with nobody to carry them out. And then all of the weaknesses that 
he has as well would be gaping holes. And so it just goes back to the Bible where we're a body. You know, the eye is just important as the ear is just important as the little toe. We all play a role and using our gifts enables the kingdom to go forward. What I think is so important in that first and second chair leader relationship has to be an appreciation of one another's idiosyncrasies. And frankly, like I've read and I've watched this in action, whenever the leader's foibles become the second chair leader's source of frustration and points of irritation, then you've got to make significant change. It might be that you've just got to kind of punt on this and do a reset of that whole dynamic. It might be that God is saying time for a new role. And whenever the the second chair leaders kind of pushing for, for whatever the specifics or details or the subtle corrections are, whenever that becomes for the first chair leader, just a source of nitpicking or annoyance or frustration, you've got to clear the decks and do a reset because you can't have that kind of idiosyncratic friction existing between people that need to work really simpatico with one another. It just doesn't work, can cause a, a bigger explosion. Watch out for when those idiosyncrasies turn from being something that you can appreciate and laugh with with one another to a source of irritation, to a source of frustration and annoyance. Yeah, that is so, so important. When we left crew, I mentioned that we left on good terms. And yet at the same time, we were involved in roles that were not super fulfilling to us. And so then the little annoyances became bigger and there was definitely an unsettledness about it. And I remember sitting at Trinity in the congregation before I was on staff, I was in the congregation for 11 years. The pastor, Pastor Mark Butcher, was preaching on Joshua. So Joshua 1 is really important to me because I feel like in that moment, it was almost a call to ministry that what other people described. But what I heard God say through his message was, God doesn't have plan Bs. He only has a plan A. And I was feeling like as we were leaving staff, we loved being a part of crew. And as we were leaving, I felt like a failure, like we couldn't make it work. And I just heard God say, no, that's not it at all. Your time there is done. That was plan A for that season. And now I've got another plan A that's coming up. And I I didn't know at the time that I would be on staff at Trinity. That's one of the most encouraging thoughts to me. If we want to go into the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram one and the ideal world is out there. And failure is hard. And so I just felt like I had failed. But that's not what God is about. He's about putting people together and rearranging. And sometimes we go through the hard stuff on staff because he wants to prune stuff off of us. The sparks that fly with iron, sharpening iron and all of that are real things. In fact, one of the things that I get to do is develop our young staff. And so we are learning about our personalities and how God made us. And then I say, but here's the deal. Just because God made you that way doesn't guarantee that's the way he's going to use you. He might put you in places that are counter to what the gifts you have are. And that's okay because he's got some other agenda that's going on and you just have to cooperate with him in that. And so I agree 100% when sparks start to fly and the little things become annoyances, it's not going to help the rest of the staff team. It's not going to help the rest of the church. Unless God is asking you to go through it, which would be quite a process, but there's no plan B. There's no failure in saying, I think our time here is done and I'm looking forward to what God has for us next. 
Kathy, I want to bring this down to, to one final question. What advice, encouragement, insight would you have for other females who are in second chair leadership? What do they need to know? How can they thrive in this role? We are in a volatile situation in our entire society where women are rising up and they're they're taking positions that have not been in the past in a historical way that women have operated in our society. And it's the same in the church. And we could get into the apologetic for why the Wesleyan church believes that women in ministry is something that God is pleased with. But I just want to go back to something that I read when I was a young mom, and it was one of the entertainers of the day, Christian artists of the day, was in the secular world as well. And he was taking a lot of, I can't even remember who it was now. He was taking a lot of criticism from the world because of his Christian stance on many things. And so he decided that he would make excellence his apologetic. He wasn't going to speak out directly to their, kind of like Jesus. He didn't really answer the questions that the Pharisees asked him. And so this Christian artist was saying, you know, I'm not really even going to engage in this debate because it's not going to go anywhere. I'm just going to let the quality of my music be my apologetic. And I think that as women, we can say that we carry our gender wherever we go. And that's actually kind of true, but it's also kind of not true because God doesn't expect us to do that. God's the one that's carrying the issues that we deal with in the church. But we can let excellence be our apologetic for whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever struggle or conflict. We follow Christ to the best of our ability. We apologize quickly when we mess up so that the gospel goes forward. I keep coming back to that because there's there's no other agenda. I love being in ministry, and I do believe that women are supposed to be in ministry. That's not the torch I carry. The torch I carry is that Jesus loves you. And we get to share the gospel with with the world. That's our whole purpose. That's the purpose of the church. And I just don't want to mess that up. The verse, it's gone for me. But there's no, the dividing wall of hostility has been abolished in Jesus Christ. And there's not male or female. I'm mashing two verses together here. I know that. That's part of the gospel for sure. But when we operate the way God has asked us to operate, then we don't have to give an answer. We just serve Jesus the best we know how. And we love people the best we know how, whether that's the first cheerleader, the rest of the people in the congregation, other people on staff, or my next door neighbor. We just let excellence, or another way to say that, the most excellent way is love. We just let love be our apologetic. I love how that fits into an ecclesiology which keeps Christ as the head. We've been talking first chair and second chair leader. And when you start to engage this language theologically, then it quickly becomes relative, right? Because we're all followers of Jesus. If in the church we are not first followers, then our leadership is not going to be well-ordered or well-aimed. And so I love that reorientation that doesn't matter what banner we're carrying if it's not all under the heading of Jesus Christ as Lord and his lordship is good and it claims even you. The claim on your life is marked by love. It's not one of he desires to overpower you so that you are doing his bidding in a kind of way that achieves his purposes. 
So Kathy, thank you for that reminder. Thank you for that reorientation and that calling back that all of us in formal, informal leadership in the church, all of us have to first be followers of Jesus. And out of that identity, be carrying his mission, his goodwill, his good purposes to remind us that we find Jesus on mission. And so it's not that he sends us somewhere that he's not. He calls us into places he's already gone. So thanks for that reminder. It's been an honor. Thank you for asking me. Well, friends, thank you for tuning in. You make conversations like this possible. The Wesley Seminary podcast exists to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry. And I trust we've done just that today. Thanks go to Connor as well. Connor, thank you for being such a great teammate. It's a real delight to work with you and to learn from you as well. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Make sure to like and subscribe, share us around on your various social media platforms. Let other people know about the Wesley Seminary podcast. Trust you all to have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.